You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word or your Bible app, will you grab that and go with me to Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4 is one of the passages we'll look at this morning. I'll cite a number of texts, but this is the one we'll start with. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you a Bible. There are stacks of Bibles on the tables in the back of the room, some black hardback ones, and you can grab one now. You can grab one on your way out of worship today, but that's our gift to you with no strings attached. Start reading that Bible and just see what happens. Just see what happens. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? We're going to read together Matthew chapter 4, a short but powerful passage here in verses 18 to 22. Listen carefully. This is God's word. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately. They left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. I want to tell you a story about a person you and I should want to be like. John Harper was born in Glasgow, Scotland in 1872. At the age of 14, he became a Christian. And from that time on, he began to tell others about Jesus. At the age of 17, he started preaching. In September of 1896, Harper started a church in London. It began with just 25 members and grew to over 500 by the time he left 13 years later. During this time, he had been both married and widowed. Before he lost his wife, God blessed Harper with a beautiful little girl named Nana. Harper's life was an eventful one. Water seemed to be his nemesis. When he was a boy, he fell into a well and nearly drowned, but was resuscitated by his mother. At the age of 26, he was swept out to sea by a reverse current and barely survived. And when he was 32, he found himself on a leaking ship in the Mediterranean. But these brushes with death, they simply strengthened Harper's resolve to share the gospel. Harper became known for his fervent commitment to evangelism. Eventually, the Moody Church in Chicago invited him to come to America for a series of meetings. Harper accepted the invitation, and the meetings went so well that a few years later, he was invited back. And so it was that Harper, John Harper, boarded a ship sailing out of Southampton, England on its maiden voyage. The name of the ship was the Titanic. Harper's wife, 
had already passed at this time. So his only daughter, Nana, age six, was traveling with him. Now what happened next we know mainly from a few sources. One is Nana's own account. A few nights into the journey, Harper awakened Nana. It was around midnight. Harper told his daughter that the ship had struck an iceberg. He told Nana that another ship was on the way to rescue them, but as a precaution, he was going to place her safely in a lifeboat. As for Harper, he would wait for the other ship. Little Nana was saved, but Harper, he never boarded the other ship. and The icy waters claimed his life. But before they did, before they did, something amazing happened. This detail of the story we know from a young Scotsman who some months later shared his testimony. In the middle of a prayer meeting, this young man stood up in tears and told the extraordinary story of how he was converted. He explained that he had been on the Titanic on that fateful night. He found himself in the icy waters, clinging to a piece of debris. Suddenly, he said, a wave brought a man near me. John Harper was his name. He, too, was holding a piece of wreckage. He called out to me, man, are you saved? No, I'm not, I replied. And he shouted back, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. The waves bore Harper away. But a little later, he was washed back beside me again. Are you saved now? He called out. No, I answered. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, Harper said again. And then losing his hold on the wreckage, Harper sank. And there, alone in the night, with two miles of water under me, the Scotsman says... I trusted Christ as my Savior. I am John Harper's last convert. At the beginning of each year, I try to bring us back to the reason we exist. Faith Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. And there is a part for you to play in that. See, if you've come through our starting point class at Faith Church, if you're one of our gospel partners, you know that one of the commitments we ask you to make goes something like this. I will participate in the mission by Showing the love and sharing the truth of Jesus where I live, where I work, and where I play. You commit to being what we could call a faithful presence. A faithful gospel presence right here in this place where God has sovereignly stationed you. And here in this place, you have the opportunity to impact people. Some of you have noticed this. You've seen this already. You've seen that your life is very much like John Harper's. 
No, you're not in that icy water that he, know, that he knew. But you see that for whatever reason, certain people, they keep finding their way back to you and you to them. God is bringing these people into your life, your neighbors, your co-workers, those people on your ball team. God is bringing them back to you because you have something they need. You have the gospel, and they need it. You have the opportunity to be a faithful presence. That's what this series will be all about. For the next six weeks, we're going to talk together about evangelism. I want to help you become an evangelist just like John Harper Someone who shares the gospel boldly with those that God brings your way and mine. Now, at times, this series is going to feel very theological because we need a strong theology of evangelism. And at other times, it's going to feel very practical because we need praxis. We're going to ask and answer questions like, can the people in my life truly change What exactly is God's role and my role in evangelism? What is the best way to share the gospel with someone today? And make no mistake, in this series, we will not merely study evangelism. We will begin to do evangelism together. I want to start today with three preliminary questions. We need to begin by understanding what evangelism is. Let's play baseball, a father says to his son. It's helpful if the son knows what baseball is. So before we can begin to do evangelism, we need to understand what evangelism is. So here are our three headings for the day. Here's where we're going. What isn't evangelism? That's the first part. What is evangelism? There's the middle. And why don't we do evangelism? That's how we'll close. Now, word of warning. The message today will be a bit Puritan-esque. The Puritans, if you've ever read any of their writings or their sermons, they were known for their multi-point sermons. Under these three headings, I have 19 points to make. Now, you see, this is what happens when you give your pastor a few weeks off. So learn your lesson, folks. Learn your lesson. You'll be amazed at how quickly we'll move through these, and I think you'll find all of them helpful. But keep these categories in mind. What isn't evangelism? What is evangelism? And why don't we do it? Why don't we do it? First, what isn't evangelism? I'm going to quote today extensively from a man named Michael Green, and I'll do so throughout this series. Michael Green was a British theologian, well-known scholar, well-known author. He wrote over 50 books. He spent the last couple of decades of his life Uh, as the head of uh, the Evangelism and Apologetics Department at Wycliffe Hall in Oxford. And of all the books that he wrote, the two that are probably the most important and the most formative, at least in my own life and ministry, are Evangelism in the Early Church and Evangelism Through the Local Church. And in this latter book, Evangelism Through the Local Church, Michael Green says that though there are certain things in our churches that we, we tend to think of as evangelism, actually, if we look at the Bible, they're not biblical evangelism. Green, in fact, points to nine things that are common in our churches, but none of them can be called biblical evangelism. I've repackaged the list a bit, but the list remains his, not mine. Here it is. The first thing Green says is filling the pews isn't evangelism, which is good because we no longer have pews. 
filling the pews isn't evangelism. Now, the idea here is that a church could, in theory, have a big crowd. And though we might look at that church and say, wow, big crowd, they must be sharing the gospel. Green would say, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul, warns his protege, Timothy, of a time that is coming when people will not hear sound teaching, they will want to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. A time is coming when students will gather, large groups will gather to hear teachers that will tell them not what they need to hear, but what they want to hear. So a big crowd, an enormous crowd could be gathered. It does not necessarily mean that the gospel is being proclaimed, that Jesus is being shared in that place. Filling the pews isn't evangelism. Secondly, Green says, sheep shuffling isn't evangelism. Or what we might call church hopping and shopping. Now, though there are some good reasons why a person might leave church A to go to church B down the road, we must understand that when that happens, church B is growing not because of evangelism. It's not evangelistic growth, it's transfer growth. It's the sheep leaving one church and moving to another. And that type of transfer growth is the type that might boost the egos of the church leaders, but it's not bringing anyone into the kingdom of God. It's not true evangelism. Third, Green says, an occasional talk by a visiting expert isn't evangelism. So the idea here is the big conferences. Big churches with big budgets can bring in big-name speakers to do an evangelism, an evangelism conference. But Green would say, it's not biblical evangelism, and here's why. Because you're bringing in this leading expert to do the evangelism for the people. But in the New Testament, evangelism is a task that belongs to the church, the entire church, not just the leaders, not just the leading experts in the field. So we can't call that biblical evangelism. Fourth, a passionate and repeated call for decision isn't evangelism, or what we might call altar calls. I wonder if any of you have been in churches like this, where towards the end of the service, the pastor or the leader will stand at the front and plead, come down, come down, or raise your hand, walk the aisle, sign a card, and the pastor just stands here while the the worship leader sings the first verse of the hymn. And if no one walks the aisle, what do they do? They sing the second verse. And if no one walks the aisle, they sing the third verse. You never knew hymns had so many verses. Until finally an elder or a deacon or heck, the pastor's wife walks the aisle just to get the whole thing to end. A passionate, repeated call for decision isn't evangelism. Now, a brief aside here. Sometimes people ask me, seriously, they ask me, why don't we do altar calls at Faith Church? Maybe you've wondered that. Why don't we do altar calls here? The 20th century pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once told a story of a man who came to him disappointed, greatly disappointed, because the night before, Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, as he was often called, the doctor had not done an altar call. And the man came to him and he said, Doctor, if you had asked me to come last night, I would have come. I was ready. 
And Lloyd-Jones looked at him and he said, well, I'm asking you to come with me now. Come now, talk now, pray now. And the man said, no, 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 you see, it was last night. Last night I was ready. If you had asked me then, I would have come. And the doctor looked at him and he smiled and he said, my friend, if whatever happened to you last night didn't last 24 hours, then I'm not interested in it. Because you do not yet have the real thing. You don't yet see your real need for Jesus. That is why we don't do altar calls. Altar calls are not evangelism. Now, Green continues, a few more here. Fifth, he says, a system or a study isn't evangelism. You know, many churches have very elaborate systems of visitation so that everyone in their church receives a visit from a deacon or an elder or a staff member. Great, that has its place in ministry, but it's not evangelism. Other churches have classes you can take on evangelism or maybe even a series on evangelism, much like this one. But understand that studying evangelism is not evangelism. That's the danger here. Be aware of it. Sixth, hiring a pastor isn't evangelism. Hey, look, I'm glad you've hired a pastor. I love being your pastor. But hiring a pastor doesn't mean that a church is doing evangelism. Not even if the pastor himself is highly evangelistic. In the New Testament, the task of evangelism belongs to the church as a whole, not the professionals, not merely the clergy. Seventh, proclamation alone or presence alone isn't evangelism. Now here, what Michael Green is getting at is for those of us who think my presence alone on this sports team, my presence alone in the community will be enough. People will deduce that I am a follower of Jesus because of the way I live my life. Green would say, you're not reading your New Testament that well. Because Paul is clear in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. How will people believe, Paul asked rhetorically, if we don't speak of Jesus? Words are necessary, but we also need actions. We also need actions. So where we can't have presence alone, we also can't have proclamation alone. Some of us think that if I speak enough about Jesus, my words will outweigh my lifestyle that is inconsistent with the teaching of Jesus. And that's not how it works either. We must have words about Jesus and a lifestyle that points to him. And that's what gives our words credibility. People will look at our lives and see the change that Jesus brings. So we need both proclamation and presence. Both words and deeds. Eighth, going alone isn't evangelism. If you leave today and you are fired up and you go out saying, I am going to share my faith, I'm going to do it all on my own, you're not doing evangelism. Not biblical evangelism. Because in the Bible, the gospel is always shared by people who are empowered, led by the Holy Spirit. People who rely on God. And most often, as we will learn in this series, evangelism happens in community. It's the community of God's people going out together proclaiming the love of Jesus. Finally, ninth. Entrusting the work to the gifted isn't evangelism. Oftentimes we think and maybe even say things like this. There are people in the church who are so much more gifted than I am. You know, I'm an introvert. I'm an Enneagram 4. Big feels, but not big words. You know, I'm introverted. I just can't do this as well as others can. So here's what I'll do. I'll pray for them. I'll pray for them 
as they proclaim. Now hear me, friends. Prayer is vital. It's vital. But prayer is not evangelism. It's not. And so when we think that way, when we reason that way, it makes us sound very spiritual, but here's what it is. It's a spiritual-sounding cover-up for our own fear, apathy, and inactivity. Entrusting the work to the gifted is an evangelism. Hey, look, Michael Green is right. All these things are common in our churches. Not one of them can be called biblical evangelism. What then is evangelism? There are lots of pithy, concise definitions out there. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, once said evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. But I think because of the many misunderstandings, we need an all-embracing definition. So here's the one we'll use in this series. What is evangelism? Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that the lost shall come to accept Jesus as their Savior and serve Him as their King in the community of His church. I want to break that down for us very quickly. Look at six elements here. We'll come back to all of these in this series. I've just mentioned them briefly first. The call. Evangelism involves the people of God. That's you and me together. Evangelism is not the work of the professionals. It's not the work of the clergy. It's the work of the people of God. In the passage that I read at the beginning of our time, Matthew 4, when Jesus calls those fishermen, what does he say to them? He says, come to me, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You see, to come to Jesus is to be sent out by Jesus. To know him is to participate in making him known. So the first thing we must do is realize that this is our call. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are called to be a fisher of men. You are called to share him with others. It is a call that comes to all of us. Notice, secondly, the message. Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ. Now, pause for a moment and ask yourself this question. What do I most often talk about? Think through your conversations. Where does your mind and your mouth naturally go? In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul talks about what he calls the matter of first importance. The matter, the thing that we are called to share with the world. And this matter of first importance is not the things that we most often talk about. It's not politics. It's not our own political party. It's not our own preferences for how our country or our school system, or even our church ought to be run. It's none of those things. According to Paul, the matter of first importance is this, that Christ Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, and on the third day, He was raised. 
The matter of first importance is the gospel. This is what we are called to share with the world. This is what we are to be known for. That's the message. Notice third, the power. Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1, the risen Jesus appears to his followers and he says to them, this is my paraphrase, wait, don't do anything yet. Don't go on the mission. Wait until, until you have received the power of the Holy Spirit and then you will be ready. Now friends, believers, we have the same Spirit living within us today. The empowering presence of God dwells within you so you are ready for this task. You are ready because you have the power of God with you at all times. Fourth, notice the methods. Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ. To present something or someone is to introduce, to show. Now, I'm going to argue in this series that we will need a variety of methods as we take Jesus introducing him to our culture, introducing him to our friends. We're going to need a variety of methods. And I'm also going to suggest that we will need a far greater patience than previous generations needed. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about the process of evangelism. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. Today, we have to do the important work of preparing the field first so that then the gospel can be planted and then watered and then God gives the growth. Patience will be required of us. I'm also going to suggest, we will come back to this, that one of the best ways to introduce Jesus to our friends and our neighbors is to invite questions and to spend more of our time listening to the questions and the struggles that unbelievers have rather than leading with our own agenda and ideas. Do we communicate the gospel? Absolutely. But maybe we're patient first. We love and we listen first. And then we share the gospel. We present Jesus. We will need different methods today than worked in the church decades ago. Notice the people. The people to whom we are called Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit that the lost. And this begs the question, do you truly believe that people are lost? It begs another question. Do you regularly interact with unbelievers? Do you have unbelieving friends, close associates, And do you talk with them regularly? See, you are their best bridge to Jesus. Did you know that? You are their best bridge to Jesus. And the younger the person is, the truer that statement is. Here's a fact for you. According to one Barna study that was done not long ago, when 21-year-olds were polled, when they were asked this question, how did you come to faith? nearly 50% of them said it was through the influence of a family member or a friend. Those 21 and younger. You, not me, you are their best bridge 
to Jesus. These are the people to whom we are called, for whom we exist as a church. And then finally, what is the goal? Evangelism is the people of God presenting the message of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit that the lost shall come to accept Jesus as their Savior and serve Him as their King in the community of His church. The goal is heart change, transformation, life change, a new purpose in a new community. But you see, if it all begins with the heart, the heart is not our territory. So we'll learn in this series that we are called to present Jesus and we are called to pray, but we can't save anyone. We share. We ask the sovereign God to save. So this is evangelism. And I told you there were three headings here. What isn't evangelism? What is evangelism? And why don't we do it? Why don't we evangelize? Now, I've helped answer the first two questions for us. I can't really answer this one for you. You're going to need to search your own heart here. You're going to need to ask yourself, why, why don't I talk to people more than I do about Jesus? I want to give you just four categories, and I want us to use this as a prayer guide. I'm going to shift this into a time of prayer here in just a moment. But as I, as I think about the reasons in my own life why I don't talk more about the gospel, I can think of kind of four categories of excuses, four reasons. One, maybe... Maybe you yourself are not converted. Maybe you don't, you don't share the good news because you haven't yet accepted the good news for yourself. And if that's you, man, I'm so glad you're here today. The waves of life have brought you to this place. And so my message to you is the same message that John Harper shared in those icy waters over a hundred years ago. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You need Jesus, you need to receive the good news for yourself. Or maybe, maybe you are converted, you are a follower of Jesus, but you're just, how do we put it, unconcerned for the lost? See, the bitter truth is we share the gospel because we love people. And we don't share the gospel because we don't love people. So maybe today you need to pray that God would pour his love into your heart so that then it will overflow for others. You need God to give you that love and concern for the lost. Pray for that today. Or maybe you are just, well, you're unwilling. You're a believer, and you would say you love others, but you're just, you're unwilling, you're reluctant to talk to others about your faith because you're afraid. You're afraid of what they might think about you, what they might say. So you see, you care more about your own reputation than you do their eternal destiny. You need to pray for courage. 
courage to sacrifice your reputation, to share the gospel with others. Or maybe you would say, I, I just feel unprepared. I just, I don't think I'm ready. What if I say something wrong? Friends, gospel partners, you have the Spirit of God within you. The empowering presence of God dwells within you. You stand ready for the task. This series will help you with some of the details, but you stand ready. Pray for that boldness you need. I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to leave this here for a few minutes. I want you to use it as a prayer guide. Spend a few minutes just reflecting, doing a little self-evaluation. Why don't you share the gospel more than you do? Ask the Lord to reveal whatever it is in your heart that you need to see. But remember this. Let me see your eyes. Remember this. When you pray, you're approaching the throne, and it's the throne of grace. So if you haven't been sharing the gospel, you know what you do? Ask for forgiveness. And you will find it. It's the throne of grace. Today's a new day. Spend some time in prayer. I'm getting out of the way.